So what's the tweet? So the other day I was sitting at work and I just had this brainstorm. And, you know, in the age of Twitter, I want to know what the equivalent was before Twitter was invented, where somebody would just be sitting there and have a bolt of lightning idea strike them. But now that we have Twitter, it's usually for me in the format of 140 characters that I think would be funny to tweet. But I wonder before Twitter, what would that impulse turn into? You, you know what I mean? Without Twitter, what would it turn into? It just would turn into nothing. No, exactly. I mean, that's the that's the the blessing and the curse of Twitter is you have a venue to express the people who should be legitimately expressing those thoughts have that venue, but the mass of people who far outweigh those people who should not be expressing those thoughts also have that same venue. Right. So you get a lot more noise than you get signal. So, so before Twitter, people still would have had a funny insight that would strike them in the middle of their day. Of course. But they would just swallow it. They wouldn't. Or they'd just tell it to the person next to them. Well, see, okay, so, so that's the thing. I, I, so I had this thing that I realized I wanted to tweet. But as I started to write it, I realized I might regret it. So anyway, I was at work and I thought, this is how it started. It started with, what if I wanted to explain to somebody the series of events that would have to happen in order for them to see a tattoo that's not in a very obvious place? Mm-hmm. So I was like, the tweet would start, and this is the thing that hasn't been workshopped, because uh-huh. I didn't tweet it. Is the tattoo on you? Who's the tattoo exactly. on? Exactly. So I was like, so what if the tweet began with something like, if you ever want to see my tattoo, and then I explained the series of events that would have to happen, mm-hmm. it'd be something along the lines of, then you better hope that I'm running in really short shorts, and I trip over a log, and at the same time that I trip... You're kind of bending over a little bit, maybe doing a stretch, and you see me as my shoe flies off, and I hit the ground face first, and my butt's up in the air, mm-hmm. and then maybe then you'd get to see a glimpse of my tattoo. Mm-hmm. So the joke would just be that in all this vague, intense, very specific series of events, the tattoo would be seen, but I also wouldn't be, I wouldn't be giving any more clarification on where it was on my body, mm-hmm. like. In each element that I describe, it opens up another possibility. But it's like, well, why would Keith's shoe have to fly off mm-hmm. in in this? And so the short shorts, so does that mean that it's somewhere in that region? Or mm-hmm. and then now I was thinking about all the different elements I could add to that to make it more confusing. Right. But then I was like, I don't want to, tw- you know, I don't want to tweet like it's a big premise for Twitter. Okay, it's a big problem, but I feel like I could. I felt like I could do. It. I felt like it was a challenge for 140 characters, but I feel like I could do it. But then, what I would have is I would have a tweet that's also linked to my Facebook that then a bunch of people could access who have no senses of humor, or that would be a joke that a lot, I could see a lot of people just not getting. Mm-hmm. And then I also very vaguely because this happened earlier in the week, I talked to somebody and they said. 
oh, I looked you up on Google or whatever. And I was like, what? Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, I looked you up on Google. It was at work. And uh, so now it got me thinking, like, should I be more? So somebody you work with Googled your name, basically. And read some stuff. Did they say what they read specifically? Yeah, it was in the context of a political conversation. So what does Googling your name bring up? It brings up my Tumblr, brings up things that I wrote. It brings up my live journal mm-hmm. that I had in college, wow. you know? Yeah. See, that's why I make sure to cover my tracks. Well, you see, I don't cover my tracks. Uh-huh. I, I'm an open book. Yeah. I'm like, who cares? But now I'm starting to censor myself, and that and it started with that tweet. I, but see, that is... That, I think that type of censorship, it's self-censorship, obviously, but that's like, I mean, I, I get it. I definitely get it, but I'm not censoring myself when I delete things. I'm yeah, just realizing I don't want that in the world or it doesn't represent what I wanted it to represent, right. or maybe I've no longer think that anymore. You know, like I've had well, that, well, that a is. live journal. I've had a Facebook. I've had right. all these things, but they've all been deleted and you cannot look them up anymore. <laughs> right. right. And I make sure of that. And I've also like, I Google myself to make sure <laughs> stuff is not coming up. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? And, that, and that's how you find all the singers named George Blizzard and stuff like exactly. that, right? That's right, exactly. <laughs> that's exactly how I found so you are, Justin Blizzard. You're, you're, you are hyper-censoring yourself. You're, you're on the far end of it. How is I that mean, I, I am in, in, this, in the sense that I make sure the only stuff that's out there is the stuff that I want out there, but I'm not not putting something out there because I think somebody vaguely connected to me may be offended or may not get the joke. Like, I didn't delete my Facebook because people were Multiple not times. getting my Twitter account. I deleted it because Facebook is, uh, you know. The devil's Disease. Company. Yeah, <laughs> Facebook is disgusting. So that's where I see the difference. Uh, I, I guess I don't see as much of a difference. But, but I did. I felt really conflicted because on the one hand, it's like I, I wanted to write that. And then I didn't. Well, why didn't I write it? You know? I mean, I think just on a base level, there is no way you'd be able to fit that into one tweet. See, now you say that. Now I feel like I have to go back and do this. Screw self-censorship. The, but, but the other thing, too, is I guess it is kind of on that borderline of like, you know, how would that read that kind of stupid, you know, joke? How would that read to an employer, do you think? Future employer? Do you think... If you read that, if you're looking to hire somebody and you're like, I don't even get that. What does that even mean? I don't like this guy. Well, I mean, again, I think that for me, that falls into. I don't think a future employer could find my Twitter just by Googling my name. I'm I'm saying I'm just saying I'm just saying but putting putting yourself in my shoes in your shoes. I would not care unless I would think it would be offensive. If it just is a like a joke that I was afraid someone wouldn't get the premise of, I could care less. But if it's something that like like on a on occasion I've jokingly supported Trump on my Twitter, 
<laughs> that I would probably in a, be weary about. In a very confusing way. You've deleted. You've gone back and deleted. I've a deleted lot of those. some of them. Yeah, yeah, I go back and delete a lot of that stuff. Right. You, you because it either I don't. It either doesn't work as well as I thought it did, or it's just I just don't want to be in that arena. It's just not worth the hassle. Well, I guess we can end this with me accepting your challenge. Yeah. This will now get tweeted out. I'm going to workshop it. I guess I guess the one thing that that worried me on on a vague level was the the joke for me would be that I wanted it to appear that it would be in a very sensitive private place, mm-hmm. but in reality it would be on the bottom of my foot. Right. So in the description everyone's like Keith that's disgusting. Mm-hmm. And then I could just and I wouldn't be able to say this to anybody, but in my mind right. I would know mm-hmm. it's like Guys, it's on the bottom of my foot. What are you talking about? Why right. is everyone getting so worked out? I think if you're going to actually go through it, this is through with it. This is what I'll say. At most, you will be able to fit in two, <laughs> two, two, descriptors? two descriptors. Okay. At most. Because the way you're describing it is you want like four or five different <laughs> red herrings. At most, you will be able to have two, which means that only one of them will actually be a red herring. Well, we'll see. Right. And then the other one. So, yeah, maybe that'll be the joke. You get two, which one's the, uh, you know, everything else is just background. The short shorts, no, that's just what I wear to run. Right, you know? sure. So, so I mean, that's what everyone wears to run. Yeah, you just better hope that I'm wearing short shorts because that means I'm running. There's nothing to do with the uh, area of the tattoo. Yeah. Why should mine go in there, Justin? See? This is, okay. All right. No more team descriptors. Today, we're going to try and, I think more than ever before, we're going to run the gamut between lowbrow and highbrow. I watched... As the opening just... Uh, I watched Adam Sandler's The Do-Over. Keith, you shared and read a rec- an, article, an article about the evolution of human consciousness from the, from the Atlantic, right? Which one would you like to talk about first? The do-over. Okay. So I watched the do-over. Um, the movie itself is bad, obviously. It's not a good movie. There are a, a handful of parts that I g- was genuinely laughing at. Like, like good chuckles. See, look, I, I haven't even seen it, and I just involuntarily started shaking my head. Yeah, like, no. I know, I know. And that's what I want to talk about. Mm-hmm. So after watching it, um, I, and actually, I think I did this like halfway through because halfway through I'm thinking, okay, this movie is bad, but I could see people being like, because it's an Adam Sandler movie being like, it's not that bad, right? Because their expectations are so low going into it. Instead, what I got was, um, a couple of, of headlines here that I'll share with you. Uh, here's one from Bill Simmons new website, the ringer. Yeah. Adam Sandler needs some help. <laughs> yeah. um, another one is Adam Sandler keeps killing comedy in cold blood. <laughs> like, so these are the headlines that are showing up. Right. And so I'm kind of curious as to 
why Adam Sandler making bad movies is such a big deal to people because Adam Sandler has never made like great movies, right? Like his pinnacle for our generation, at least is Billy Madison or happy Gilmore movies that I loved when I was 16, 17, 18 years old. I haven't seen since I can't imagine I would love them now, but I don't see them as some sort of like high art cultural peak that we should all be aspiring to. You know what I mean? Well, okay. I have, I have a theory on this. I might have a few theories on this because I, because I've thought about this before. I think number one, that you're, that a lot of the articles you're reading are from professional film critics, right? These are the reactions of, of professionals. The movie that I think if you pull the professionals most that or, or that would stand out most to them from Adam Sandler's career is Punch Drunk Love. Right, but that's not an Adam Sandler movie. No, no, but it's starring it Adam Sandler. It is a movie Sandler. starring Adam Sandler, exactly. written and directed by Paul Thomas Paul Anderson. Thomas Anderson. Exactly. So, but I think what they're saying is is that here's a guy who didn't just appear in a Paul Thomas Anderson movie but seem to embody the full vision of and understand what Paul Thomas Anderson was trying to do with it. You know, sure. It, it's a complicated like um, character sure. that, that he's portraying and he kills it. He absolutely kills it. And I think that is what you are seeing. And I, and I think I read a little bit of the Am Sandler needs help article. Mm-hmm. And I think one refrain that you hear, and I think it's touched on in that, is that the problem is that he does his own material. He needs help, like, realizing a full artistic vision beyond just, I'm going on vacation, you know, with my with my friends. Which is the general idea that people say, you know, or, or argue about with his films. Right. They all feel like vacation. Well, yeah, trips. and that's something I wanted to talk, because I actually had that thought independently i guess while i was watching the movie. right so so i think i think on the one hand it's because of punch junk love that you see people who keep bemoaning the fact that he just keeps putting out this trash that he won't just either say i won't direct i'll go be a part of something else but when he does that it's like men women and children the jason reitman movie which again is like apparently atrocious mm-hmm. Um, that he doesn't pick good projects. The, the, the second theory is the funny people theory where, again, there's a film that seems to embody a critique and satirization of the character of Adam Sandler that he's in and being a part of and that he seems to know. He seems mm-hmm. to have a little knowing wink about like, hey, look, this character makes crappy movies like me in real life. But he seems to not care. And I think that's what people are responding to. It's this aggressive, like thumbing his nose in the face of, you know, people who love cinema and saying like, you're I smarter mean, is than he this. Thumbing his nose in the face of people. I mean, who, this is what I have to, this is what I ask. That, that, that's what people are reading. Who this. cares? Well, okay. Like exactly. Adam Sandler is not making movies for you. He's not making movies for me. He's not making movies for film critics. He he obviously has a an audience that he is making movies for and that he is very successful at doing if you want to if you want to judge that monetarily right 
and that's part of my point. And that was the thought I was thinking while watching the do-over. This guy's getting paid millions of dollars to go to Puerto Rico for a month and make a movie. All expenses paid. He is getting paid millions of dollars to go on vacation, right? And by virtue of going on vacation and making that a movie, he's then furthering his business by later on getting to do that again, (laughs) right? So my first point is kind of like the joke is on the angry film critics because I don't think he's thumbing his nose at cinema and film criticism. Mm -hmm. He's thumbing his nose at this idea that he has to make these super deep intellectual movies for you know grumps like me and you or other people who are upset that he's making movies you know what i mean like my basic question is who cares like why is it such a big deal that he's making movies for an audience that is not us well I, i look i totally agree i'm just i'm just trying to give the perspective of like a professional film critic but it's kind of like imagine so this is kind of what we were talking about before too where almost every pursuit in life is just a distraction from the reality that we're all going to die, right? So some people have devoted their lives to cinema. That's their life. Mm -hmm. Their life is going to film festivals. Their life is, when they're not at film festivals, being at home, watching screeners of films, and then immediately turning around on a laptop and writing about those, mm-hmm. you know? So imagine if that is your whole life pursued around one kind of uh, specific art form or pursuit of anything. And somebody keeps dropping into that area and exposing what a charade it all is, mm-hmm. you know? And they just keep coming in and doing it and they keep being successful. I mean, eventually that would be an annoyance to you. You know, that, I, that would, I think that would eat away at you. And, and for you, I'm trying to think about what an IT equivalent could be. I mean, <laughs> again, I, I would argue that he's not dropping into that scene and like shitting on everybody. He's just doing what he does. And people are like... If if you're going to if you're a film critic and you're going to live as though your film criticism encompasses every single movie ever made, that's what falls under your purview. Then you should be trying to uh, find the value in what Adam Sandler is doing. And because I don't consider myself a film critic and I'm not interested in evaluating all of cinema. Right. I, I, I am perfectly happy with saying his movies serve a certain demographic there. That demographic is not me. Yeah. But, but he's not the grit in your oyster. That's just constantly irritating. There is no grit in my oyster. (laughs) That's not named Draymond Green. Exactly. Exactly. So I mean, can, can you imagine if you're if you right now Justin Blizzard were a, a analyst for the NBA, mm-hmm. you know, and you had to write about the finals? I mean, I think that your articles would be dripping with vitriol for Draymond Green. You know, sure. Now, I mean, I would say they would be during the Thunder series. Yeah, yeah. he hasn't done anything during the 
Cavaliers series. Not not for lack of trying. He's, well, flailed, he's maybe. flailed a few times. He just hasn't made contact. Yeah. So, I mean, but but that's what I'm saying. It's like, in the end, Draymond Green is not getting called on the fouls, and he's playing recklessly, mm-hmm. you know? And you are sitting there screaming on the sidelines being like, that's reckless play. That's He's going to hurt somebody. Mm-hmm. And he's not getting called, and it's frustrating to you. But he's going to keep doing his thing until something bad right. happens. So that's the same trajectory that Adam Sandler's on, right? He's just being flagrantly, uh, and again, you can make the argument of like he's being selfish, right? He's getting all these opportunities, and he's not at all challenging himself or challenging the audience. Mm-hmm. He's just kind of going with the baseline. Hey, what's worked before? Let me play the schlubby guy. Let's throw in women to be like mm-hmm. objects of desire mm-hmm. and or shrews. And let's just let's just have fun, David, you know, and mm-hmm. that's and that's what's happening. I think people are getting frustrated with that with that um, formula and that it's working. So I can understand the, the, the professional response to Adam Sandler. I, though, have the same response as you, but I'm glad I'm not a film critic mm-hmm. because I might go out of my way in reviewing Green Room to take a shot at Adam Sandler because he's so frustrating to me. As someone who like loves cinema, and he's the one getting four picture deals with Netflix, and he's just failing up, mm-hmm. you know. So, and and he's, but he's again, he's not failing. He's, he's very successful. Yeah, yeah, but in in terms of creating something, and, and this is this is where we get into an argument of objective kind of well, no, because of, because of Netflix and Hollywood studios don't care about your critical success if you're bringing in tons of money. No, I know they don't. I'm talking about something, something I'm talking about evaluating something you've created in the context of a historical perspective. Right. So, you know, and I, and I think that you would argue this, but I would put more weight and value in a film that has lasted a hundred years versus happy Gilmore which has maybe lasted our generation, but now is kind of falling off. Like I can see Indy being my age and not having any connection or idea of who or what happy Gilmore is, you know, and that makes it not as valuable a product as something that has lasted, you know, spinal tap, I think is something of more comedic value, you know, than all of Adam Sandler's creations, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I think that's what, people are arguing against too is the fact that Am Sandler has time and time again had opportunities to create something of, and he's shown the ability to be, to, to have some insight and he just has not seemingly pushed himself to achieve that. He just falls back on what works for him. You know? I mean, I, I can't fault, I can't fault somebody for that, but I would also say, do people just want a hundred punch drunk love movies like that would I do that would be miserable <laughs> that would no. be miserable i love punch drunk love it is an awesome movie i do not want to see 50 variations of that yeah movie. yeah no no not not that but i i think and i think if you really get into film criticism i think film critics get a bad rap what i find interesting is if you really get into it and you push deeper into some people who are writing you know, kind of vitriolic articles against Adam Sandler or whatever is you'll see that a lot of them champion 
really dumb films, mm-hmm. you know, and films that don't work, but it's because those films were trying something. And I, I think that that's, that's something that they would value as well. Not everything has to work, but if you're trying something and it's crazy and it's out there and it's weird, but it's like, you got to see it, mm-hmm. you know, um, Jupiter ascending. I watched that because some film critics that I follow were like, this is, you got to see this, you know, it's terrible, but it's terribly ambitious. Mm-hmm. And they weren't just like killing it, you know, but what, what they will go after, I think is the middling, the middling fair. And that's what Adam Sandler is putting out, you know? So I'd, I'd rather him take a, take a chance. It's not going to be punch drunk love, but it's going to be, more weird or esoteric sure but he but i mean he has taken those chances and if that's all he's doing then he's no longer taking a chance that's just what he does you know for me part of what makes punch drug love so great is that it is adam sandler in this movie and as you're watching it you're like i cannot believe this is adam sandler right i mean of course that wears off after you've seen it multiple times but the first time you see it it's like i mean i'm sure there's plenty of people who were like Adam Sandler in a relationship drama. No, thanks. Never going to watch that movie. But when you actually watch it, it's like, this is great. Mm -hmm. But again, if that's all he's doing, then it's just, is not. Well, I, well, I think the other thing is that the people are upset because he is not adapted to the culture. We've, we as a culture have moved to be very sensitive of misogyny. He's like the Donald Trump of movie stars. He's like the Donald Trump of movie stars. He represents an underbelly of America that still exists, but the mainstream media would want you to believe that does not exist. Mm -hmm. More or less. Yeah. So, So I think that, to me, there's viable reason to be writing articles like like those that you've read off. I think that there's viable reasons to be frustrated with Adam Sandler as a filmmaker. I think in the end though, that who cares is, is an appropriate response and he's proving that there's a market for what he does. So, right. You know, what what are you going to do? It's kind of, it's kind of like, you know, a tweet that I saw where people are like, go see pop star. Pop star is this new, Lonely Island movie that came out right. that's bombing at the box office. Is and it lot, really? Yeah, a lot of critics love it, you know? But then I saw somebody tweet, and I, and I agree. They're like, Popstar is a very hard R. You know, it's not, it's not meant to be like, bring the kids. Mm-hmm. Some people, they're tired of it, or they just aren't in the mood for it, or they just saw Neighbors 2, which was a hard R, mm-hmm. you know? And maybe that's just, they're just tired of it, and they're not interested. You can't force people go see it. You know right. what I mean? It's not like it's not like oh woe is me that this film isn't getting seen. The people don't want, to see, and that's okay. It's okay that people don't want to see pop star. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but I think I think critics part of what they're trying to do is get people interested and excited, and they're sad when their films don't get the excitement, and they bemoan the fact when the films they don't like get the excitement mm-hmm. um but yeah film is not dead it's not in a as terrible a place as people say it is and there's a place for adam sandler but it's 
Not for me. And I do wish that he was not remaking Punch Drunk Love, but trying things in the vein of it. Sure. Um, you mentioned something when we were texting about what we would talk about on the show about trying to figure out with movies like Funny People. Was it was it called Funny, Funny People? people? Mm-hmm. Funny People, Idiocracy, movies where you have these seemingly at least they're they're uh stereotyped as maybe uh dim-witted movie stars mm-hmm. all of a sudden they're sort of playing these roles where they're aware that they're dim-witted movie stars but then they continue afterwards to keep doing the same stuff mm-hmm. and you want you wanted to try and figure out like what is the motivation behind that and how self-aware are they right, right? is that yeah, it's it's kind of like I I wish I was a journalist just for this because I, I really would like to put a lot of time and effort into making the connections culturally from people like even Lady Gaga, right? Who comes out in meat costumes, flash forward a few years, and she's doing duets with Tony Bennett. Right. You know, and it's like this this striving for mainstream acceptance but through a side door you know the the end goal is still just to be like just to be one of like everyone else out there singing target ads you know Mm -hmm. like i'm lady gaga i'm crazy but here i am singing a target jingle you know because that's where i want to be ultimately in idiocracy you see dax shepherd right Sure. Yeah. That, yeah. Dak Shepard is in it. I think the better example is is Luke Wilson. Luke. Yeah. Because he's in it, and 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 up to that point, Luke Wilson has run in what has appeared to be a pretty intellectual circle. You know, Wes Anderson, all that stuff. But then since then, you see him more or less legally blind, making like the parallel moves in his movie career as what seems to be being sort of lambasted in idiocracy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, funny people, Adam Sandler plays a movie star who makes horrible comedies that people love and eat up, you know? And so for, for me, and, and, and then pop star too, I can ask you because I see pop stars parroting people like Adam Levine and Adam Levine's in the movie. Right. And, and I just, I I just don't know what my response should be. Like, oh, that's hilarious. And they're in on it. And then the very next second I turn around, it's like, watch this really dumb without a paddle movie with Dak Shepard or whatever. That's just lowest common denominator. It's dumb. It's stupid. We're not trying. And, uh, and we're just throwing out. It's just pollution. It's just artistic comedy pollution. And what I would say about the difference to me between pop star and something like Spinal Tap is, and I'm interested to see pop star. I would like to see it. I think. It, hurry up, I think it looks funny. I guess. Yeah. But to me, it seems like, and what makes it weird with like the Adam Levine stuff, or with what I feel like is like a Justin Bieber parallel. Oh, it definitely is. It feels like they're doing that to say, like, we're making fun of this stuff because it's stupid, right? Whereas with Spinal Tap, it just feels like, 
yeah, we're just sort of like making fun of the outrageousness of this situation, but it didn't feel like it was making a judgment call either way on the music industry or on heavy metal bands or whatever. You know what I mean? It just felt like satire, I guess. Whereas from what I've seen from Popstar, it feels mean-spirited, I guess, which does seem weird when then you do have like Adam Levine is in the movie or um, Andy Samberg and Adam Levine show up on The Voice and do a skit together right. where they're like working with contestants because then it becomes then to me it becomes like okay Andy Samberg obviously thinks everyone here is stupid in the voice. so why is he doing this exactly like he obviously thinks this whole process is insane because he's making fun of it in a million dollar movie <laughs> why is he now here on the show a part of that machine and uh, the same i mean i think the same question can apply to Adam Sandler and funny people and what he's doing with his movies. But to me, I mean, I think it's easy to sort of uh, criticize artistic choices from a distance. But what it comes down to is, like I said with Adam Sandler, he's making millions of dollars. Yeah. And when he does punch drunk love, he's not making any money from that. Like he's, well, relative to what he has been making, <laughs> yeah. right? Relative to he's me and you. He's making more than I would in a right? year <laughs> exactly. doing Punch Drunk Love. Yeah. But that's not like going to support his lifestyle. And I couldn't, I mean, from a distance, I could say given the opportunity to make $100,000 on a movie or $10 million on a, $100,000 on a on a very meaningful, well-written movie or $10 million on a throwaway, meaningless movie, it's very easy for me to be like, well, I'm going to stick with my artistic integrity integrity, and I'll take the $100,000. But in that actual situation, I'm almost certain I would say, give me the $10 million. I'm doing shitty movies for the rest of my life. Give me $10 million every single time. Yeah, I mean, do you think... And, And ultimately, like... Again, what does that matter? Well, yeah, is it is it a question or is it too idealistic to even mention the term artistic integrity? I mean, is that is that even does that have any value in discussion today to say like as an artist, I'm going to say like I want, you know, like one thing that that bothers me is that if you read an interview with somebody and they talk about how hard it was to get this passion project off the ground and how, you know, these smaller projects are dying and blah, 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 blah. And then they are like all over this kind of like dumb comedic Mm -hmm. mainstream crap. And you just think like, well, what does your attention being distracted by these other projects? What does that mean for those mid range films Mm -hmm. that you're so passionate about creating like you know where's where does that fit like and how do i how am i supposed to take you as a artist when i see you in these conflicting films like i can't help but be like disappointed and kind of not take you as seriously moving forward but i feel like everyone else does like no one begrudges anybody 
from making any decision that they need to within Hollywood, except for people who are uber successful, like Adam Sandler. Mm -hmm. But, um, I mean, there are atrocious examples of people who are, will swing wildly. Luke Wilson is a great example Mm -hmm. of the, like, Hey, I'm working with Wes Anderson. I'm making something really that I believe in. And now I am making this fourth movie in a series that's going direct to DVD Mm -hmm. because what do you need the money that bad? Like, I don't, you know, the chipmunks movies, like, um, how does, uh, what's his name? Um, add up in all this. Oh gosh. Jason Lee. No, he's in the chipmunks movies. He's, he's just, (laughs) I know that his star, he's just trying to hold on, but no, like, um, Oh, what's it? He's always hosting every award ceremony. Sing dancing. He's Neil Patrick Harris. Yeah. Neil Patrick Harris. Like, I feel like there's a guy who's just like a corporate shill while also trying to hold to some artistic integrity ideas. Mm -hmm. But it's like, man, this guy's like, I, I I feel like he's like Ron Burgundy a little bit. Like Mm -hmm. he'll just say whatever is in front of him to say. And then he'll be in like David Fincher's gone girl or something. Mm -hmm. And people will be like, Oh, Neil Patrick. And it's like, this guy, I, I saw him like on a Pampers ad the other day. You know, like he'll, right. he's like everywhere. I'm like, that guy is just like, he he doesn't care, you know? Sure. And he's in the Chipmunk movies or something like that too. Well, I, I mean, David Cross is in all of those terrible children's movies. David Cross is, some, if we really want to go deep, right. that is a guy he that probably like, has more bad movies than Adam Sandler does. Yeah, it, but he's also a guy, like if you listen to his standup, he's, yeah. he, you think he's going to leave his stand up and start burning down, <laughs> you know, our kind of corporate centers. Right. Instead, he's going to do voiceover for Norm of the North <laughs> or whatever bad kid movie he's in. Yeah. It, yeah. It, I mean, comics are comics are another thing, but I feel like some some of the best comics, though, they'll tell you they're like, we're just here to make make money yeah like, i think we the, just... the most common excuse now is i do this so i can fund the stuff i actually want to do right. i mean that gets used a lot yeah right yeah but i mean like yeah david cross is just like i can't i can't take his stand-up seriously because of what he does like mm-hmm. and because his stand-up is so politically motivated right you're like oh man this guy you know if i ever wanted to get motivated off of his stand-up i'd immediately get deflated Walking out and seeing him on a billboard for, yeah, the next Norm of, what is that even? The, the Polar Bear movie? Polar Bear movie. You didn't see the trailer for that? It <laughs> looks so terrible. I didn't. Yeah, it's, it looks really bad. So, yeah, you agree that there's some dissonance there, right? It's just like, I guess maybe I'm, maybe yeah, I care too I, much about that. I, I, but, I, but again, I think with David Cross specifically, he is trying to play both sides of the coin. Adam Sandler is not. Adam Sandler has a built-in audience that he's making movies for, and that is it. David Cross, like you said, he's doing all of these kids' movies for money. More power to him. I don't care. But then you listen to his stand-up, and it's not just that it's politically charged. It is, like, aggressive, and it is angry, and Mm -hmm. it is, um, it is, it is, it is, uh, sort of, uh, it's calling people to task. Mm-hmm. Right. It is. He is acting. He's supposed to be acting as a voice of reason, more or less. So then when you compare that to him being in a terrible, you know, 
Disney kids sitcom. It's kind of like, how do I, how do I hold both of those things? You know what I'm saying? But at the same time, I'm perfectly fine looking that and being like, yeah, he's doing that to make money because he probably doesn't make a ton of money as a road comic. Yeah. I still just, I feel like, I I don't know. I, Like you said, I'm not being offered sure. a million dollars to do a voiceover, so I don't have to worry about making that decision. Yeah. But I just feel like at some point, if you really are that angry and you have those ideals, then you're going to be like, well, I guess I'm just making $200,000 this year. Mm-hmm. Boo-hoo, you know? Yeah. Instead yeah. of $2 I, million. I don't. I don't. I don't disagree. I mean, I definitely understand, but I just thought it was interesting. Yeah. And that's what I was thinking about most of the time while watching the do-over. Although I will say, like I said, there were a couple of jokes that were legitimately funny. Okay. And I think if someone watches them and 20 years down the road, (laughs) they're doing a comedy or whatever, and they're like, oh yeah, we got that gag from the do-over, I would understand. Because (laughs) there are a couple moments in that movie that are funny. So let's talk about uh, this article that you sent me. It's from the the Atlantic, and it's about uh, apparently a new theory has arrived uh, for how we developed consciousness, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So why don't you talk about the article and, and what you got from it? Because I'll say as a disclaimer, I did not read the whole thing. Uh-huh. I read the beginning, and I read the end. And I skimmed all the sciencey stuff in the middle because <laughs> the middle is basically this is how reptiles brains work. The and then this is how another animal's brains work. And this is how another animal's brains work. And now this is how our brains work. So I think that's fine because like, like we said, we're not experts on the things that we talk about. Yeah. And I'm not an expert on the science. I'm not as interested in debating the scientific theory as I am in kind of you know, uh, shooting from the hip kind sure. of, uh, stoner philosophizing. Right. And so I wanted to get, I wanted to get your take because in reading this article, it made me think of the Fermi paradox, which we've talked about. Mm-hmm. And it made me think of, um, you know, the big bang, um, the origin of life, all that stuff. Yeah. And my, my reaction to it, is as science progresses and we get more and more theories and better theories on these issues of like consciousness to me, it still drives me back to a, a, to an idea or, or an understanding or possibility of a God existing that I never have seen this dichotomy between science and faith that the people point to. Mm-hmm. I think partially because the science can be used to disprove a literal understanding of some of the ideas that some people have who read the Bible and say, oh, the world is only 6,000 years old. Right. Well, how does this happen? It's like, Duh, shut up. Dinosaurs you know, didn't exist or whatever mm-hmm. just to make their theory work. Um, but, but I think that that's taking a very surface level understanding of it so in this theory 
what you have is generally stated consciousness was developed as a way to corral all of our incoming stimuli. So um, a jellyfish, it says, uh, for example, has enough kind of neurons firing in its brain that like if you poke it, it will react to the poke. Right. Well, it's, it's the beginning example was of a hydra, right? And mm-hmm. the hydra being the s- literal simplest form of it. Whereas right. if you touch any point on a hydra, every single point of its body reacts. Right. Because the nerve is basically the nerve. There aren't <laughs> right. multiples. Right. There, it's all one giant nerve. I was reading about something previously, and it was actually really funny the way it was stated. It was basically like there's an animal that has basically two, and again, I don't know the science, but two neurons or whatever firing in his brain, mm-hmm. and both of them are tied to food, like just the presence <laughs> of food. It's uh-huh. like there's either food here or there's not food here. <laughs> right. so that's, that's all it's got going on up there. And, uh, and, and so it kind of says, you know, as the brain developed, then you had more and more stimulus coming in, right? You had... Mm-hmm. The, the eyes develop and now the eyes are sifting through all this information and you had the, the kind of overt attention and covert attention, the overt attention being like, there's a big bang over here. So now I'm going to look over there because I heard something mm-hmm. or I see something. So I'm going to look over there. That's like you're overt, but there's nothing then, you know, consciousness I think is about retaining that information in a complex way. Mm-hmm. So when I look away from it, I still have an idea of the thing being there. It's not like I look away and now oh, doesn't exist it's, anymore. Right, it's gone. You yeah. know? Um, and that started to be that development. And they talk about the hard science of the brain, but I can't get away from this idea that like the brain is one piece of a whole that's evolutionarily developing. Right. Mm-hmm. Along with, all these other organs in my body. So like the appendix eventually is like, don't need me anymore. Right. And then our lungs are like, this isn't working. Okay, let's try this. This isn't working, whatever. That there's still something in all the chaos that's bringing order to it. You know, if, if the brain is developing in it, in his consciousness Mm -hmm. at some point, I think I'd be afraid that my brain would say like, Screw the rest of this stuff. Like, I'm in a fleshy, not well protected. It would start to develop a shell and it would like push out my brain and it would become like, uh, or push out my head and it would become like, uh, what's his name in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? The, Krang? Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It'd become Krang. <laughs> it would just find a way to, to, to live and exist outside of my body mm-hmm. because it is like, it holds basically every, it's going to be like, I'm in control of this thing. So I'm out of here because I don't like this body. Yeah, I'm going to create my own thing. Well, I mean, that's more or less what AI is and virtual reality, right? Mm -hmm. We are digitally transferring our consciousness into these machines. Right. But I would also say your brain can't live without like, like that's the thing. The the brain is the core that is telling your lungs to do this. You can remove a lung and still be alive. Yeah. You can't remove your brain and still be alive. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just saying that it's not like these things are developing independent of each other. Sure. It's all in development of me, of the body, of itself, of, you know, the brain Mm -hmm. and the 
you know, fingernails that developed to protect what, you know, and mm-hmm. the appendix it did what? I don't know. To me, it still speaks to order that there that there's some source of direction of motivation for these changes that are beyond survival. Mm-hmm. You know, like I think that we have developed in ways of beauty to what purpose, you know? I think that evolutionary uh, by evolutionary terms, it's to attract a mate. But I think that we could I I don't know. I that's where for me the supernatural breaks in. Mm-hmm. That I don't I don't see evolution being an end to itself that in the big bang there's there's no solutions in there <clears throat> there are questions you know mm-hmm. and in the development of consciousness even if the theory proves out to be true to me it doesn't move anywhere closer to disproving the potential you know existence of a god sure but i mean potentially anything could exist yeah, yeah, but I mean, yeah. you you agree that some people try and hold science and faith no, as dichotomy, right? And that's right? that's one of the that's one of the most confusing aspects of the uh, gender fluidity campaign to me. Not to bring it back up, but it's strange to me that a society that is so almost excited to tell people of faith that their faith is wrong and that it's not true just because they believe it is so willing to tell a group of people that that the way they were born doesn't matter just because they believe it's not the way they were supposed to be born. I know that those, that is a very loose connection, a little sloppy, but it just seems like a, it just seems like a, uh, it just seems like a, a little bit of a, um, a little bit of a just a it just doesn't match up to me. It seems like if if I'm able to say you feel like you're a a woman, but you, in, it, it, uh, except you were born a man, it, it, when you were actually born a man, but you feel like you're a woman, that's fine. Then I should also be able to say, uh, you believe in God or you believe in whatever. That's fine. Like I have no problems with that. And I'm not going to then just like I wouldn't say to somebody who I'm talking with, oh, you think you're a woman. Well, your DNA is this and science tells us this and this and this. I wouldn't say to a Christian or someone, a person of faith, oh, you believe God exists. Well, what about this and this and this and this and this? Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's sort of like and ultimately what it comes down to is and this is kind of what we talked about with the gender stuff, too, is. It's it. Everything is relative. Nobody, nobody knows. Nobody knows whether God is real. Nobody knows how the universe really ex- was created. There, there are theories for all of it. Mm-hmm. People of you know, religious people call it faith. Scientific people call it proof. Theory. I would say theories. I mean, mm-hmm. yes, yeah, so I would say some probably call it proof. But but in reality, it's a theory. Well, yeah. Well, that, that's what they're after. I mean, yeah. science is after proof. The, yeah. the theory is not the end goal. The, 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 the whole movement is to prove it. But I mean, when you read something like this, when you read something about the, the, how consciousness developed, 
do you find full satisfaction in an evolutionary scientific explanation of that? Or does it leave you with questions about like, I still don't understand the underlying like force of that change of that development of that movement, you know, in evolution. I think on a, on a, I think as on a base level of understanding how much I understand any of this stuff, it satisfies my curiosities. I don't know enough to question anything from the Atlantic article. And I don't, I also don't have the curiosity to delve into it deeper. Like those answers to me are perfectly satisfactory, but at the same time, I don't, I don't really care at all because again, I'm never going to know. I'm just not. And I'm fine with that. And if eventually 50 years down the road, somebody's like, we finally figured everything out. It's going to be, there's still going to be a voice or a sect of people that are saying, yeah, well, what about this? Well, it's not totally, it's just as like, I just think it's unknowable. And so I'm not, I just don't spend a lot of time thinking about it. Yeah. I I guess what's, what's interesting to me and, and one reason why I want to talk about it is to gauge the difference in our responses. For me, I agree with you. It's unknowable, but it still sparks in me. Uh, an interest it sparks in me something towards faith towards god sure you know and for somebody else i think it would spark them towards science you know and Mm -hmm. and towards trying to understand purely biologically speaking how consciousness came about and um and get excited about that and for you it might not spark anything, but I find it interesting that it doesn't spark in you a curiosity, not, not in knowing because it is unknown, Mm -hmm. but just a guttural response of where, where does our consciousness come from? What is calling us to develop that consciousness? Is it just this brain is like, I'm overwhelmed with information Mm -hmm. i need a way to process it let me develop this thing called consciousness that to me is still like it's miraculous you know sure yeah but i mean it exists i mean it i guess it's miraculous but it it exists like a consciousness is something i've lived with for 34 years now like it's not a new concept to me you know what i mean where it came from is kind of it's not irrelevant, but it just is not like it's it's here. So, and again, it's to me, it's unknowable, it, it, and it's unknowable. But also, the idea that over sixty billion years or however long it took that we developed into this creature that makes perfect sense to me because you just look at and again, I am not science smart at all. But you look at dogs. On some level, they have a consciousness. They are aware of their surroundings. They make decisions based on what they do and don't want to do, as represented in a lot of animals. 
And if you go down the line, you know, birds are a little bit dumber than dogs. Fish are a little bit dumber than birds. Like you can kind of follow it like the article was doing with the reptilian brain and so forth. You can kind of follow it all the way down to where you eventually get to a creature that has this almost super conscious, a consciousness, a consciousness on the level that it can control all other consciousness and eventually start to create its own out of nothing like that. That is a logical progression to me that makes total sense. Mm -hmm. And it is completely adequate answer for me. And so I guess it's not that I'm not curious about it. It's that that progression satisfies my curiosity. Yeah, I guess. And again, the, the, the progression makes sense to me, but I guess it's interesting that, you know, on one side, because I agree that the, the the knowledge of God's existence is unknowable. Right. But I'm still pushed for whatever reason one step further to say I'm still missing a piece that I want in that yeah. explanation. But even then, I would say what you're missing is that you want to know definitively. You want to know definitively that God exists or that he doesn't. Well, I mean, you, you, are you asking me if he does? No, 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 no. no, I'm saying, I want to know if he does or doesn't like, like, right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And and that's, and that's, I think that's where the curiosity comes from. Right. But, but I still, so part of me is like, there's no, there's no battle of science and faith that as science reveals more about it's, it's a, it's a battle against a specific, group of people who are actively denying the scientific record. But beyond that, there's, there's faith. It still exists. You know, like you're like the battle that's being waged, which is why I find it so amazing when you hear like Bill Nye or whoever debate, you know, right. The people that I feel like Bill Nye is debating is like, do you realize that you're like, it's like, Going into a court and being like, I want to challenge the jester to a debate. Right. And, and it's like, okay, like right. you know, there's a whole host of other people right. or, living in that right. kingdom. It's like, I'm going to take on the U.S. judicial system. Here's my first debate with Judge Joe Brown. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. You're picking the wrong person. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and, you just, and you just want to say like the, the arguments that they're saying are not adequate to just still saying like what's the what's the underlying function behind all of this change is it survival like it's not adequate mm-hmm. you know it's just not adequate in in my understanding and again i don't i like you i'm not a huge science buff mm-hmm. but as i read and try and filter through this stuff i still come by and i find it interesting that you know to to just again play off my take from your take and see that we largely approach the same way and then at the very end we just kind of diverge in two different areas. Mm-hmm. So I guess I just wanted to kind of have a conversation about that. But I, I find that as we talk about the Fermi paradox, as we talk about the development of consciousness, as we talk about just the amount of time that the universe has been around, yeah, and how much we we are fatalist. We're, we're fatalistic in how much we anticipate 
the world being around moving forward. Mm -hmm. I, I just, I still go back to saying like those odds are so infant, infinitesimally small. Mm -hmm. How can there not be an idea of a God, which, and this is where I'll close. I still find it funny that if you talk to Stephen Hawking, if you talk to Carl Sagan, if you understand what they're saying scientifically, you will get to the understanding of maybe not only that there were their life forms out, out there, aliens, but we may be the spawn of those aliens that we are actually created out of those beings. Mm-hmm. That that's actually some real scientific theory. And I'm like, well, that's a belief system, you right. know, like that's, that's Christianity, Judaism, sure. Islam. Yeah. That's Scientology. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I'm not, I'm not seeing this huge bifurcation when you start talking about what was the, what was that initial burst from, you know, of, of creation of consciousness or whatever that, that at some point you end up do sounding supernatural. Yeah. All right. Well, you've been listening to everything is interesting. Uh, we, and we and we put it to the test. Yeah, right. We ran the gamut. Um, our schedule has been a little wonky because we've been doing our other podcast. Everything is television about uh, the new MC, AMC show Preacher, which is pretty good. Which is really good, actually. The um, the show. I'm not commenting on the quality of the podcast. The show is really good. Uh, so we're doing a podcast on that every week with Rob from the Best of Three podcast. So you can, if you're watching Preacher, head over to Everything is Television. Uh, search for that in whatever podcast app you use. And uh, you can hear us talk about Preacher every week. But because of that, we're sort of sporadically recording these whenever we feel like it. So I'm not sure when we'll be back again on this show. We're recording episode two of Everything is Television after this, so that'll be up around the same time. Uh, We will be doing a Preacher podcast every week until the season is over. You can get any more information from our uh, website, eipodcast.com, or look in the show notes um, of this episode, and I'll have links to everything we've talked about. You can follow the show on Twitter. We are at eipodcasts. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Blizzard with nine Z's. I'm at Things Come Right. And we will talk to you next time.